0: Kia this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Kia ora no mai haere mai ki huinga o poniki, e ea uh, kia ora everybody, uh, my name is Victoria and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Victoria. And welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. Um, we open AA meetings with the serenity prayer and I invite you to join me. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Excellent. Um, This meeting also starts with the AA preamble, which uh, goes as such. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other. They may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Awesome. Um, so today we have the Kilburnie Monday night group in the room, uh, which is very exciting. Um, looking forward to hearing um, from, the, yeah, just the sharing and stuff. Um, now, They have requested we read a short passage from the big book. Um, So I'll now read from Alcoholics Anonymous, big book, um, page 84, the um, 10-step promises. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is a miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest in our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our lives activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Excellent. Um, So we'll now move into the sharing part of the show today. Um, And I will first ask Val to share. Excellent.
1: I'm Val and I'm an alcoholic and it's really good to be at another meeting. Um, I love those uh, promises at the end of Step 10. People often talk about the promises that come in at the end of Step 9. But there are promises all through the big book. There's one very early on in the piece, probably in there is a solution. Um, It talks about the higher power, which I have to say I had great struggles with. Finding the power is what the book's all about. And that's a power that will solve your problem. That's what—that's the wording in the big book, it will solve your problem. It doesn't say it will help you solve the problem. The power will solve the problem. And oh God, it was hard for me to stop struggling really. I was, uh, most people know my story. I was uh, brought up in a trade union family. I've worked for trade unions, and it was all about struggle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that word, surrender, was repugnant. You just never surrendered. You know, you've got to just keep on struggling. And that's what kept me sick for a lot longer than I should have been. So I could not surrender to the fact that I was an alcoholic. And I thought my willpower would actually, once I desi- once I desired to stop, which uh, I didn't, didn't have that desire when I first came to AA, I didn't think the alcohol was the problem, not for a second. But once I developed the desire to stop, I still thought I could do it on willpower. So I had to learn the hard way that myself was of no use to me whatsoever and I had to come to believe in something beyond myself. And uh, that was uh, not easy because I had been brought up in an Anglican household. I went to an Anglican all-girls school I had to go to Sunday school and, uh, and I just uh, couldn't wait to get away from all that. And um, 15 when I left that school, that was bye-bye God, really. And I went on my merry way, running my own life. The fact that I'm sitting here today is best testimony to the fact that I didn't make too good a job of it. So it was coming back to some sort of belief, but it's nothing like that old old belief at all. And it's changed over the years. I've, you know, I used to have to go down to Wursa Bay and uh, I think of that as my spiritual home now. When I was working on step two, trying to come to believe in a power greater than myself and I'm going, what, a power greater than me? And I used to go down to Wursa Bay and talk to the waves. That's all I could come up with. It seems pathetic these days, but um, I knew that the tide came in and out It had something to do with the moon but it had nothing to do with me and I certainly couldn't control it so it was a power greater than me. So when I was working on step two, that's where I used to go and um, my sponsor was very quick to point out, don't hang around waiting for God to put in a personal appearance at step two because you're not that important. (laughs) And it tells us in the program that at the end of 12 steps we'll have a spiritual awakening, not two So all I had to do at step two was be willing to believe. I wasn't expecting a burning bush experience. Um, I just had to be willing to believe. And the alcohol itself in the end was a final (laughs) persuader because I kept drinking after I came to AA. Not surprising, the first six months I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have a big book. I didn't even have a meetings list. I was just going to one meeting a week and, and I continued to drink. I was sitting there waiting for a miracle. (laughs) Everybody was talking about miracles. I wasn't doing anything. It is a program of action. I cannot think myself well. I can't. My feelings are useless. They're, you know, too emotional. I've got to act well. I can act myself into better thinking, not the other way around. So it was only after I got a sponsor and she bought me the big book and we started work on the steps following the instructions in the big book. And I'm so grateful that's how I was given the program. There was no. We didn't deviate from the big book at all, and there was no psycho babble. We just follow the instructions in the big book, and that is the simplicity of the program. It is all written down for us. We've got a textbook, and we can follow the steps if we follow instructions. But we're not too good at following instructions. The hard part is it expects us to go against all our natural instincts. And, um, you know, alcohol, if you're an alcoholic of my type, my natural instinct is self centeredness I want things my way. I want everything now. I want, I want to control everybody else, including myself. I never really did an inventory of my own behaviour. I was too busy blaming everybody else for my lot in life. So if I could just surrender and, and not struggle with it, I could have got well a lot sooner than I did. However, it doesn't matter. I kept coming back. That's the important thing, keep coming back. Eventually, the pennies start to drop. And I have a life today. And they used to talk about a life beyond your wildest dreams. I used to chuckle. I thought, what a silly thing to say, a life beyond your wildest dreams. And it it's absolutely true. That's what I have today. You know, I just love my life today. There's no drama, um, it's simple. I've got um, a lovely four year old granddaughter who's an absolute delight. I would have been bored stiff with that one stage and uh, I just I just love it and I owe everything I have today to practicing the program of alcoholics anonymous and and I'm so so glad that I had the tutelage that I had in the beginning and I had a service sponsor as well and she taught me the importance of service in aa you have to help others and um so I'm glad that I had all, all those people in my life and most of them are still in my life so anyway, that's, that's enough for me. So thank you for asking me to
2: share.
0: Thanks, Thanks, well. Thanks Val. Awesome. Thanks, Val. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to uh, Wellington Access Radio, um, and this is the AA On Air program. Um, if you or someone you know uh, relates to what you've heard uh, during the meeting today... Um, and you'd like to reach out, maybe talk to a sober alcoholic or go to a meeting, um, you can go to the website www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz There are meeting lists there for this country. Um, And if you are in New Zealand um, and you want to call a free number uh, with an alcoholic, sober alcoholic, on the other end of the line, uh, that is AA Works. That's 0800 229 uh, 675. Um, I know we have a lot of international listeners. Um, Google is a wonderful thing. I'm sure if you (laughs) search for AA and then uh, the name of your country, um, there will be similar sites that you can refer to. Right, um, so I'll now ask Jane to share, please. Thanks,
2: Victoria. Hi, I'm Jane, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, gosh, it's ridiculous talking into this mic. is more nerve wracking talking to a big room. <laughs> so, um, look, I'm very privileged to be here, and I'm very grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous, which um, is a group that I never imagined I'd be part of, or never thought I would find. Um, and I'm privileged to be able to speak after Val actually has so many years of sobriety. Um, this group of People that I'm with now, my home group, people from my home group, and um, a home group's been so important to me. Um, I found AA. It feels like by accident. I mean, there's a lot of talk in AA about God and that God works in all sorts of ways. And I guess for me, I as as I go through this journey, which is not even two years yet, yet nearly two years. Um, so i'm I'm quite new in my sobriety. In fact, I feel like a bit of a baby, to be honest, taking baby steps. Um, <clears throat> it becomes clear to me that stuff sort of happens that puts me in the right on the right path when I need to be. Um, my alcoholism progressed, I guess um, at a fairly fast rate from when I was in my twenties. I discovered alcohol when I was about fourteen, like a lot of people. Um, I went to a family wedding and people weren't paying attention to what I was up to. And I drank a glass of bubbly and then thought, "Oh, that feels great! I can talk to everybody." Um, and of course, when you're young. And then I went to the next table along and drank a glass of bubbly there. And then I went to the next ta- and so on, around this quite large wedding um, until and that first time I remember it um, as a sort of a life-changing experience. Like I felt like I, um, all of the noise and the anxiety and all of the stuff that went on in my head, which was very noisy from the minute I hit adolescence, um, kind of just calmed down and I could talk to anybody and I'm including, you know, attractive people, people who freak me out, adults, people I thought were much smarter than me, all sorts of people. So, I mean, I remember that from that one experience and, of course, I drank that one time to blackout, and, um, you know, ended up being taken home by my family and what have you and being all the things that happen when you've been very naughty and got really drunk as a young person. Um, <laughs> and from there I guess it progressed through the usual sort of stuff like binge drinking at parties and that sort of thing that people do. But it became – I mean, it's apparent to me now. It wasn't apparent to me then that um, I would drink a lot more than a lot of the other women around me. Um, I could keep drinking, I would keep drinking with people who were older than me, who should be able to take more alcohol than me, and I would um, become invincible and feel like I could do anything, and I would go um, off into the night with whoever, and it was exciting, Um and it took away that, all that anxiety and stuff. What I didn't understand, of course, is that it's a, it's a downer and it brings it on even stronger the next day. Um, once I moved out of home, I guess that's when it really took off. I was um, lucky enough, or maybe not lucky enough, I don't know, to blag my way into a job where I earned a lot more money than most of my peers at quite a young age, which meant that um, I could do what I wanted um, I could you know, and I could be the big person, I guess, and pay for things for other people, and that meant a lot of partying. I lived in a place that was quite close to the city where a lot of people came, and I would be able to conveniently be out till three in the morning and then just sort of roll around the corner home again um and i do I recall sometimes going into work and seeing people that I'd been with in bars, I suppose a few hours earlier or whatever, um, still there. Um, my way of drinking, I've, I'm, I've been compulsively secretive, I guess, a lot of my life, and I think alcoholism often goes along with that. Um, so I would go out with friends, and I would quickly sort of outpace them as far as drinking was concerned. I thought that I was, you know, doing great things. I suppose outpacing them, but actually, you know, they were leaving me behind and getting on with their life. And then i would I would like to slip off at some point during the night and um, hang out with people I didn't know, or meet strangers, or and end up God knows where. So that's obviously not a not an ideal situation um, for a young woman in the city. Um, A lot of the stuff I did when I was drinking, people thought some of it was funny, which was a bit of a problem. Like I used to sort of wake up on the lawn at our house, like, you know, um, half-dressed, and that was funny, you know, and people were walking past and stuff. Um, That sort of encouraged me to some extent, but a lot of the stuff that was going on, people weren't really aware of some of the other stuff. Like when I was drinking, um, I used to like to go for a swim. I'd get really depressed, and I would go and just walk out, into the sea and things like that would happen and I would swim out and then miraculously I was always saved <laughs> by somebody, <laughs> some bastard would pull me back to shore and I would, you know, I would be rude to them and I would um, I would just quietly, you know, stumble off home and no one would know that it had happened. Um, and then one of the things that I struggled with was coming to AO, understanding alcohol as a problem because it was a big blind spot for me it was just a thing I did, um, and if someone had said to me a few, few years ago, you won't, you'll live without drinking, I would have been like, you may as well have said, we're going to chop off your right arm. It wouldn't have made any sense to me at all, and I would think, well, why? Why would I live without, I can't live without drinking, what do you mean? Um, and so for me, um, it had to get really bad before I would stop, Um and I know in the last few years of my drinking, my life progressed, and I, won't, I don't have time to go through, you know, all the ins and outs. But I ended up in a situation where I raised um, two girls, and I was in a, you know, a family situation. Um, the girls were teenagers by that point, and everything sort of came to a head, um, and had to get pretty desperate before I was interested in AA. And even then, I mean, some would say it's a god job, but I used to drive around in my car. Um, that was one of the things I did. Um, intoxicated and um, and I was basically in a state of perpetual motion and interesting, interestingly in early sobriety that's what I used to do too, I used to walk for miles, so I'm constantly trying to get away from what's going on in my head and that's what the drinking was about um, so I, lo- I was driving around in my car and I happened to look at, for some reason the AA website and saw that that very night there was a beginners meeting on in Newtown and um, and for some reason, I felt compelled to go and sit in the car park. And I sat there, drunk, watching people coming and going. People were standing outside having a smoke, having conversation, whatever was going on. I looked at them and I thought, oh, they look like normal people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why that was a surprise to me, because I look like a normal person too on the outside. Um, but, you know, I went into the AA meeting and I sat right at the back and I saw some things on the wall that said God. And that freaked me out. And then someone gave me their phone number, and I thought, Oh no, it's a cult. They're going to ring me. Mm-hmm. And they didn't ring me or stalk me. Um, in fact, they were kind and lovely. And um, you know, and I went back another time to this this meeting, this meeting that's the home group. Um, and by that point, things had got worse again. And I'd been driving around again, and I was, I just went into the meeting, and I couldn't really hear anyone what anyone was saying because I couldn't focus and I just sat there and just cried through the whole meeting but I heard um, what I did hear was a couple of women and one of them's in the room today um, just telling their story and that's what you get when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous because there's so much and I don't have time to go into all the stories but there's so much shame and embarrassment about some of these things that have happened, that seem out of your control. And they are out of your control to an extent because you can't stop drinking by yourself. You don't know what to do about it. I know by the end of my drinking, I remember I'd be pouring a glass and I'd be thinking about the next glass as I was pouring that glass, worrying about it. And even if there was plenty of alcohol sitting there ready to drink, I'd be worrying about that next glass and what will happen when that one runs out and then what will happen when the next one runs out. You know, sort of this crazy cycle of thinking Um, and I tried to sort of stop and cut back by myself and that that was impossible and I do believe it was impossible so all I heard at Alcoholics Anonymous was not all I heard it's the most important thing I heard was just stories from other women but also men but it's really important to hear from other women and hear um, those things that have happened just spoken about honestly the how how they're not understandable to the rational mind because there's no way you can think yourself out of this disease. You have to, you have to work a program and work your way through it. Um, you can't just—I couldn't just stop by myself. Um, and miraculously, I kept coming to meetings. That was the only message I got to start with, which was keep coming. So I started coming as much as I could, um, almost every day. At one point, just to hear these stories, and that's all I did. I just sat there and heard these stories, and I. Slowly felt less alone. Um, I felt like there was a group of people who understood me, and I no longer had to inflict all this behavior on people who didn't understand and why should they? um There was some people to talk to, there was a place to be somewhere I belonged. so I kept coming back, I kept listening, and eventually I started sharing my story as well, and people came up to me and said, oh, "I related to that." Um, and that's not that didn't make me feel like a big person, like a big ego-driven person. It just made me think, gosh, maybe there's someone out there who's listening that you know I can help as well who who relates to this. Um, and that's a good thing. And quite frankly, I think in some ways we're quite lucky to be alcoholics because at least we have this group where we can sit and talk to each other about our lives and relate to each other, which a lot of people don't have. Um, so. That's probably it from me. I think I've said enough. Yep. Thank you. Thanks,
0: Jane. Awesome. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Just to remind you, you are listening to Wellington Access Radio, uh, broadcasting on 106.1 FM. Uh, If you or someone you know relates to what you've heard today and you'd like to reach out, in New Zealand, um, the 24-7 uh, contact line is 0800-AA-WORKS, um, or you can visit the website, www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. Uh, and I will now ask Joe to share, please.
3: Good morning. My name's Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good to be doing this on a Saturday morning rather than what used to happen 25 years ago where... When I was a drinker, and yeah, Sunday mornings, ten o'clock Sunday mornings was not a very nice feeling. <clears throat> and I used to think that being sober was that horrible sensation I had at ten o'clock on a Sunday morning when I would come to from a night out drinking and uh, start to start to piece together what I'd done the night before and and that physical horrible raspy feeling in my throat used to be and you know, oh, I just need a drink but I knew if I have another drink it's going to start all over again and and yeah, just just wishing you know that that I wasn't that I didn't wake up and yeah <clears throat> you know, I'm grateful that being sober is is far cry from from anything like that <clears throat> you know get up this morning and uh, you know, have a shower and do a, a reading from the AA literature and make my way to the meeting here. And I just, you know, I just remember getting up this morning and just appreciating that there was some sunshine and it was going to, looks like it was going to be a nice day. So, yeah, I'm uh, grateful to be able to come to a meeting and, you yeah, my drinking, yeah, let's say, yeah, I, I figure I drank for 25 years and, a lot of that I used to just love going to the, you know, getting all uh, dressed up on a Friday night, Saturday night, and going into the pubs and clubs that had the brightest lights and the loudest bands. And mm-hmm. and for a great deal of time, I not, probably wasn't a, a problem. And but I, I now, when looking back on it, I figured, well, really nobody was concerned about my well-being. In the early days, there my parents would have been, so I moved out of home, so I didn't have to run into that roadblock. And so, yeah, I I do recognise, you know, now that yeah, I just uh, if if it was a concern, I, I would distance myself from anybody who was raising that concern. So yeah, when I when I did get married and took on concerns. Uh, especially in the last two years of my drinking, uh, things seemed to change and that I couldn't just have another drink and think, oh, you know, next time it'll be different. I was starting to be more aware that it's not going to be different and that my actions were getting more frequent and, and, and worse. So yeah, when I did get married, I thought, well, you know, this is going to settle me down and had a couple of children and and you yeah, know started to inflict my unmanaged uh, way of doing things onto myself and more and and you know a family. And yeah that got that got problematic for me where where there was times where you know I was just absolutely hating myself for having done what I like, of so where my son <clears throat> I'd drop him off at rugby practice when he was about ten or so, and and the coach was asking, "Oh, is there any chance you could stick around and help coach the help coach the team?" Uh yeah, no, I'm going to be busy," and and I'd sit around the corner in my car, absolutely hating myself for that next hour while waiting for that practice to finish, and and it was because I couldn't trust myself to turn up sober on any given time in the future, so I would decline anything like that. And and as I say, I just absolutely hated myself for, for not being able to present myself. And you know, I'm grateful when I got sober that I I I then helped coach that rugby team. And, you know, those promises that were read out, you know, the most satisfactory years of your life lay ahead. I wouldn't have known that... I w- you know the, the self-satisfaction I got out of helping coach that rugby team, and it's not as if you know a great All Blacks or anything came out of the team or anything, but I just got self-worth out of it. You know that I, as a parent, I I put my hand up and done my bit, and and that yeah that makes me feel feel comfortable in my neighbourhood, in in my own skin, and um grateful for AA for and it's the change that comes about from doing the service and and doing the steps that's that enable me to <clears throat> to yeah not to say no and and to and to participate in my life and <clears throat> yeah I'm uh, grateful for AA and I always used to I love uh, the Kilburnie meeting, which is on a Monday night, because uh, when I was a drinker there, my wife and people who had concerns for me would say, "Oh, you should do something about your drinking." Yeah, yeah, I've I've rang the I've rang the A uh, and D clinic, alcohol and drug clinic, and and there's nobody there, but I've left the message, and they'll get back to me on Monday, or there was, the place is closed, so I'll ring them on Monday. So yeah, I always used to be you know, going to do something about my drinking on Monday. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful now that my home group is on a Monday and I, mm-hmm. I am doing something about my my drinking on a Monday. <coughs> mm-hmm. And this is a 12-step program and, you know, we uh, sort of deal with the alcohol in the, in the first step and the rest of the steps are dealing with, uh, you know, the way I... Uh, think about things and and my actions and uh, yeah and you know if we do the steps in sequence you know you get courage from one step to do the next step and so on and it's uh, it yeah makes for a a more managed life and yeah as I say I'm grateful and looking forward to the rest of of today and yeah so that's uh, that's me thanks.
0: Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to Wellington Access Radio, one hundred and six point one FM, and this is the AA meeting on here. Um, and I'll now ask Chrissy to share.
4: Thanks,
0: Victoria. I'm Chrissy. I'm an alcoholic. Right, I'm really
4: grateful to be here this morning sober. Thank you for fellows that have taken the time out of their busy Saturday mornings to come here. Um, The last few years um, I've come here to share when it's been my home group's turn and um, I've been happy to do it. Um, It works if you work at it. And doing service is a huge part of staying sober And connecting with other people. Um, I'm a weirdo introvert. Um, I come from a long line of alcoholics, addicts, gamblers, um, people with mental health problems, you know, the whole mixture of everything. Um, I believe I was born alcoholic. I was a premature baby. I was in an incubator and I had... No human touch for quite a long time. I used to blame my alcoholism on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I blamed my always being the smallest in the class. I blamed my fear. I was I, I just, just so fearful as a kid. Fearful of when my father used to beat up my mother. Fearful of my father being drunk Fearful of him not coming home for days on end. Fearful when my mother would take prescription medication overdoses and end up in hospital. Um, Fear. My brother next to me is the only person in the family who's not alcoholic. Um, I have suggested that he goes to Al-Anon, which is our sister fellowship, for people who have family and friends that are alcoholic, in an ideal world that would work out perfectly because the non-alcoholics in your life would be focusing on their own program of recovery rather than ours. Um, That's just my thoughts, which is sometimes (laughs) taken the wrong way. I'm quite blunt and I'm quite out there when it comes to recovery. And I knew that I was an alcoholic I was diagnosed as being an alcoholic at a young age and I would say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic but I'm not a heroin addict. I'm not a this, I'm not a that. I'm an alcoholic and that's okay with me but it was never okay with me. Alcohol let me be someone that I wasn't. You know, I could be dancing on the tables, I could be doing this, that and the next thing. Things I'd never ever do sober and at first it worked quite well. Well, no, it didn't, you know. My biggest character defect is dishonesty. Um, The first time I got drunk, I was 14. I got drunk on New Year's Eve. I'd recently been in hospital. I tried to starve myself to death. Um, My mother had said that, yes, I could go to this, this party because all the kids were downstairs with non-alcoholic punch, and it would be fine. And a parent was going to take us all home. But the older brothers had got bottles of spirits and put it into this non-alcoholic orange juice, which I hate. I never, ever drank orange juice, can't bear it. But that night I did, and boy, oh boy, I hated the taste, but I loved the effect, that first sip of that first drink, of the first time getting drunk, I can almost remember it. That burning feeling into my um, throat. I could feel it all through my body. Wow, it felt so good. And then I was chatty and then I had another drink. I mean, I scold it. I always scold alcohol. I was never one to sip anything and still aren't really. Um, I don't drink alcohol but I drink cups of tea and coffee and you know I drink every last drop. Um, I can't bear to leave any in the cup. And there, there's so many old behaviours, it, it seems so hard to um, change. But slowly, a day at a time, things do change. Um, so I threw up. I don't know if I blacked out. I didn't know about alcoholic blackouts then. But I threw up on their white carpet, and one of the mothers took me home, and it was probably only about 10 o'clock. And I went to bed, and I had to share a room with my sister, who was nine years younger than me. And I divided the room into string with string Mm -hmm. so that she could have her half, and I had my half, and she wasn't allowed in my half because she touched all my things. And of course I tripped over the string and the bookcase came down and my mum woke up and I was sick a bit more and in the morning my mum gave me Panadol, I think it was Panadol, and a drink of water and said, you're acting just like your father. My father was long gone and we had a bit of an argument and then she had the vacuum cleaner going and made me get out of bed and I had to wash the sheets and oh my God couldn't wait to do it again Mm -hmm. Um, and I did fast forward two years I was at a nice Catholic school in Kulbirni and I had pink hair and lots of black eyeliner it was 1981 Um, I had one brother who was in the Apoorne boys home my sister had been taken from my mother from Catholic social services and my other brother was going to a boarding school in Masterton and I was left with my mother. Um, My mother tried to kill herself at Lowell Bay Beach and I dragged her out of the water and I'd rung one of her friends and the ambulance came and she got taken away. And I was just turned 16 and I was left at home by myself. And left to my own devices, I find trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Um, So anyway, I had pink hair and black eyeliner and I went to school and it was assembly and the head nun asked me who I thought I was and what I thought I was doing and she slapped me across the face because I said something smart under my breath and I slapped her back. So bang, I was out of school. I was out of school. Years later, I made an amends to her. Um, At the time, I was filled with anger and resentment. They know what's going on. Why are they so mean to me? It's not my fault. Um, So I got a hairdressing apprenticeship. I ended up with flatting with people I worked with who were a lot older than me. At that time, heroin was their drug of choice, and they'd buy me drinks. And people would say, you got to slow down with your drinking, you know? you got to not drink so much. And I would always have a smart remark, well, I'm not a junkie like you guys. I'm not this, I'm not that. Um, the disease is progressive. And I came in here in my 20s after being in intensive care with a perforated stomach ulcer where I had died and I'd been resuscitated and brought back to life. That was a miracle. Specialists said to me, you need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. So that would have been about 1996. And I went to that meeting in Kilburnie and I thought, it's all old men, they're talking about God. I'd had a few wines before I went, as you would, but... Um, I thought maybe they could teach me how to control and enjoy my drinking. No. Total abstinence from all mind-altering substances. I didn't hear that. You need never drink again. I didn't hear that. Get a woman to take you through the 12 steps. I didn't hear that. Um, Keep coming back. Works if you work at it. I didn't hear that either. So... It got worse and worse and worse and worse and even worse than worse. Um, I ended up on the streets in Newtown, dirty, filthy, disorientated, begging for money because all I wanted was just one more drink. Um, Something happened to me 10 years ago and I didn't die and I wanted to die. And I came to and I thought this is it. I'm going to give AA 100%. I'm going to do exactly what people suggest or tell me to do and I'm going to make sobriety my priority. Um, I got three and a half years up that time and I wanted what everyone else had or what I thought everyone else had. And it didn't work out for me and I tried to drink and I couldn't drink. The last six years, I don't even think about drinking. Those tenth tenth step promises have come true and it's really weird. My grandiose ideas are mostly gone. You know, I'm not the youngest, skinniest, blondest that I was when I came in here in my 20s. I'm just another bozo on the bus working hard at surrendering basically and handing over my life and my will to the God of my understanding throughout the day Um, and just being grateful at night and saying thank you. And I've made good friends in Alcoholics Anonymous, so if there's anyone lying in bed with a terrible hangover thinking what am I going to do, the option is... Ring that 0800 number, look on the website, get to a meeting, um, just give it a go, see what it's like, the seed can be planted and everyone thinks they're a hopeless case, everyone thinks they won't survive without alcohol, that they'll live this dull and boring life watching Coro and drinking cups of tea and call the midwife on a Saturday night, Mm -hmm. it's very (laughs) exciting and I love it. I love every day sober better. It's better. My life just gets better and better in such unexpected ways. So thank you for listening to me, and thank you, Victoria, and thank you, Home Group members. Thanks,
0: Thanks Chrissy. Thanks, um, So this has been the Wellington Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. Uh, Broadcasting on 106.1 FM. Um, I just, yeah, I just wanted to, if you've made it this far through the recording, uh, you're you're obviously keen um, or desperate or both. So um, the Alcoholics Anonymous New Zealand website is not up to date for these meetings. Um, If you go to accessradio.org.nz or just Google A-A-O-N-E-O-Wellington, um, and you go on the Access Radio website rather than AA, um, it's got every single recording from, I think, the past two years, and that's one recording a month. So, you know, if you are on a ship or overseas or just, I don't know, away from meetings, um, that's a really good resource to um, just listen to some meetings uh, if you can't get to one in person. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we have an AA on Air Wellington Facebook page, um, so you can see their. Um, when we're going to broadcast and what meeting we'll be kind of featuring. Um, And you can also send us a message. I know that Dan uh, does check those messages. Um, So I think that's everything for today. Uh, And we will just close the meeting with the serenity prayer. Um, And I ask you to uh, join me. Um, And thank you to everyone in the studio. Um, I always, walking here, always thank god what if no one shows up so that program is brought to you by wellington access radio get your voice heard Thanks, New Zealand
1: On Air, for funding accessmedia.nz.